Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating a podcast today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify and when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I love engaging with my audience with the Q&A and the polls. And I also love the fact that I can upload my video podcast on Spotify because I know my audience love watching it sometimes when they're traveling on their commute. I highly recommend you give it a try and you can download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com forward slash podcasters to get started. Food is more than just fuel for the body. It's about enjoyment too. It's important to love food, to ignore comparison culture and food fads and instead really focus and concentrate on what's right for you. Welcome back to A Millennial Mind. Today, I'm sitting down with a true superwoman, an NHS doctor, a mum of two, now a home cook featured in Women's Health magazine, BBC Good Food, and Waitrose Cookery School. I'm super excited to introduce you to Dr. Chintel's Kitchen, aka Chintel. So hi, Chintel, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Thank you very much for having me on, and, and what an introduction. No, thanks so much for coming on. I'm really excited to talk about your page and your brand. So how did you start Dr. Chintel's Kitchen? So as you said, I am an NHS GP in London. And as a GP, I work with a lot of people from all walks of life and all ages. And I also work with lots of families. And quite often, my patients wanted to make changes to their lifestyle or review their diets. Mm. And they often knew what they wanted to do. But they struggled with exactly how to do this practically at home. Um, yeah. And personally, I've always loved cooking. And a friend of mine just suggested a, couple, a few years ago that perhaps sharing some of my recipes via a blog. And at first, it was just for fun, something I shared with mainly family and friends and some of my patients. But before I knew it, I started to get a lot of positive feedback and positive messages about how people found it helpful, how it allowed them to address that challenge of actually mm. putting things into practice. And so over the years, I've continued that blog. I've tried to keep it very simple. I share recipes that I make for my family that day, often try to kind of add shortcuts and ways of perhaps adapting recipes to suit different diets. Um, And recently, I've started kind of writing and sharing ebooks on specific topics. Um, I also host some cookery workshops for adults and children to help share tips and ideas um, and lifestyle medicine workshops. And my aim is hopefully to show people that cooking from scratch at home doesn't have to be expensive or time consuming and that healthy meals can be delicious as well as nutritious. 
yeah, I've seen your 99p meals. So um, you're definitely right. You definitely do do that. Yeah, and they're I think actually 50p meals, Shivani. Oh, 50p <laughs> meals. Wow, okay. You get two for one with that. Yeah, so it's actually an ebook that I created for a charity. Um, so it was really focusing in on, on kind of people with low income and trying to source ingredients that, so that they could actually make a meal without buying kind of 10 different ingredients that actually, although you only use a tiny amount of them, then you end up with a lot of wastage. So, you know, I really try to stick within that that 50p per portion budget. That's amazing. And I think your page is so positive. The way you talk about food is really positive. Did you always have a healthy relationship with food? So I think going back, my love of food has been since I was really young. I've Growing up, I was surrounded by food. Food is very much a part of our Indian culture. Um yeah, and and my family actually owned the local greengrocer's shop, so you know I lived oh, wow. surrounded by food. So my parents mainly cooked from scratch always at home, and they mainly cooked Indian food. And as my mum was vegetarian, my diet was predominantly plant based growing up. But one thing I really do specifically remember that it was almost always cooked from scratch, and often it would literally be fresh vegetables and produce that were bought home at the end of the day from the shop that needed to be used up to avoid food wastage. So, you know, we, our diet was very varied. It was, it it was really um, growing up kind of the kitchen was the heart of our home. We were all involved in cooking family meals. I've got kind of memories of weekend trips to Asian stores in London because we didn't live in London at the time. And we used to get trek all the way to buy specific Asian vegetables and coriander and things that weren't always available, actually, back in in the small village we lived in at the time. And then we would kind of wash it all together and prepare it all for use during the week. And if I'm honest, I found that quite chore when I was little. But (laughs) looking back, (laughs) I now really see the benefits of that. And, um, you know, and now I find myself writing about how beneficial it is to get food shopping with your children, to help them develop curiosity and conversations around food. So really, I've been helping cook and cooking independently from a really young age. And I'm convinced that that's where my love of food and cooking has come from. And I hope as a mum, I can continue that through with my own children. Mm, absolutely I mean I think for me at school I definitely had a really bad relationship with food and I think everyone that I was surrounded by also had a bad relationship with food and I think I was obviously brought up in an era where it was plastered all over tabloids and magazines about weight and health and diet and you know all these kind of new diets were coming about. And I think when I talk to my mom, she's always like, well, we never had any of that. I never worried about what I ate. It was always about, like you said, eating really fresh produce. But for me, from a young age, foods were associated as good as bad, right? So, you know, things like desserts and junk food and chips were seen as bad. And then there were things that were like vegetables and fruit, which were seen as good. These have changed over time. So, you know, now when I look at foods, I definitely think I still have an unhealthy relationship with food because everywhere I look, someone has a negative thing to say about something. Diet culture has made me feel fearful of fruit, which for me is crazy because I used to love fruit growing up and it was seen as a really healthy food. And I still love fruit now, except when I have things like mangoes or grapes, especially at night, people always tend to make a comment about my sugar intake. Yes, so you're absolutely right. Fruit does contain sugar, but let's not forget that it also contains fiber, vitamins, minerals, and it's really Mm. so important and beneficial as part of a balanced diet. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I feel that when we have this negative relationship with food and we label foods as good and bad, a lot of people transfer these labels onto their own self-worth. And I know I did when I was younger, when I would eat something that was bad, I would think, God, I'm now bad or, you know, I, I've done something wrong. And I think you can see this because I saw a statistic that said hospital admissions for eating disorders have risen by more than a third and they're now 37% across all age groups over the last two years. And I think that this negative relationship with food is really transpiring in society. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. And this makes me really sad. And also as a parent, incredibly worried. Mm. Um, You know, I personally don't label any foods as good or bad. Um, I'm very keen, as I said, for my children to grow up with a really healthy relationship towards food, similar to what I have um, and what I had growing up so the way I talk to my children about food is to uh, is um kind of talking about food as a form of energy and food being fuel Mm. um how your brain your muscles every part of your energy uh, every part of your body sorry needs food to function every day but also saying that food is a lot more for me it's a way to connect it's a way to wind down after hard day's work it's a way that we socialize it's a way that we connect with friends and families um, you know, it's celebrated at every festival, the, the list goes on. Um, so mm. as a family, we always try to eat together as much as we can, have as many meals together. And, you know, as I said, kind of growing up as well, trying to involve my my children in all steps of the way. So from food shopping to helping me plan the week's menus to cooking in the kitchen, I really try and involve my children, encourage my patients to do the same. Um, you might have seen that my children actually make most of my cookery videos <laughs> Um, they do yeah and I I do I do that on purpose in a way because first of all they love it and it's fun for them but also I think I hope it demonstrates to people how easy it is to cook things from scratch at home and how easy Mm -hmm. recipes can be to recreate and really just highlighting that healthy eating doesn't need to be complicated and I Mm. think it also empowers them if they're involved in the decision making you know it it starts opening up questions we talk about food I think it also invites them to ask questions, like you said, about what different types of foods are. So I know growing up for me, my parents never spoke about food negatively. But as I started to grow older and I started, I think because I didn't help as much in the kitchen as to knowing what the good foods were, I became so fearful of things that when my mom would use certain foods or like key or butter, I used to feel really worried and panicky. And I think that's because I wasn't aware of them. I didn't know the nutritional benefits. I didn't know what was good in them. And all I would see was on the news or on magazines or on the internet was the negative effects of butter Mm. and how it's really fatty and how fat is bad. And I think the narrative has definitely changed in time. So when I was growing up, it was fat was the enemy. And now it's carbs are the enemy. And it seems that we're surrounded by a lot of this negative information. And I think if you don't have somebody at home consciously telling you a different narrative, it's very easy to fall into that trap of being worried about every single thing you eat. Actually, I think that's really important. Uh, That's a really important reason why I don't put labels on food. So, you know, if I'm talking to them about food, I might say that certain foods provide certain fuel to the body to make it function more effectively, whereas others may not provide as much fuel for the body, but they might just make you feel happier when you eat them. And that's just as important for you and your body as well. And so we might talk about kind of orange foods being uh, such as carrots and how they might help our eyesight. But if we only make um, eight orange foods, that wouldn't be a healthy diet because we've got to feed the rest of our body as well. So, you know, just trying to break it up into really simple terms that they can understand. And to explain that, you know, if we don't give the body the fuel it needs, it's not going to work as well as it should. And if we don't enjoy the food we eat, then we might not feel our best as well. So really, all foods are beneficial for our health. It's just kind of 
about how we balance what we're eating. And I know this is a really grossly simplified version and explanation, for children, but, it's, yes. but it's aimed at trying to get children to start to understand. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, it's okay to enjoy your food, but it's also mm. important to make sure that your body is getting that fuel that it needs to function as well. Absolutely. And I think you must get this from a lot of people when they're coming in and saying, you know, I need to lose weight and I need to cut out this food group and I need to cut out that food group and I don't know how to do it. You know, I think we we've started to eliminate certain food groups because we think that they're bad for us. It's a really negative way to look at foods as to say, well, I'm not going to have this. And what you've just said in terms of labeling foods and looking at their benefits like carrots and seeing that they're good for eyesight instead of looking at them as a starchy vegetable. Just that small change in narrative really does help you to change that relationship you have with food. Mm. So how do you think we should start to understand different food groups and the importance of them? Because, you know, there are different food groups. And I know when I was at school, we had this that circle or the triangle and you had to have, you know, a fistful of your carbs and uh, most of your, your plate should be veg. It's now very confusing because I feel everywhere I look through Instagram, through Facebook, through Twitter, there's always a different image of what healthy looks like. It's so subjective. How do we start to understand the different food groups and how much our body needs? Yeah, so this this is really hard because you're right. Everywhere you look, somebody else has got an opinion. Um, and with the rise in social media, you know, everywhere we look, there's food fads, there's false claims, there's kind of picture-perfect, beautiful, influential celebrities. There's a kind of real rise in wellness bloggers and self-proclaimed experts in the field. So it's really confusing. And, and given that mm. children, you know, at the age from the age of 12 can access social media, I can imagine it's really confusing to kind of decipher all these messages um so i i think you know sometimes it's all very um over complicated and there's no need to overcomplicate things so i see so many patients of mine that are really totally focusing on the kind of minute details and breaking down every single meal they eat into its macros and calculating if that fits in with all their requirements for the week and you know there is a time and place for that, um, you know, if they're working towards a specific weight loss goal or something like that. But I think that isn't sustainable long term. And actually restricting mm. and controlling your food intake in that way can actually lead to an unhealthy relationship with food. Um, yeah. So I tend to suggest to my patients that perhaps they should move away up from focusing on the whys and actually thinking more about the how. So actually how to put those simple changes into place to improve your diet and your relationship with food long term. So thinking about your, you know, making small changes that you can sustain long term for the rest of your life, as opposed to going really drastically changing your diet and then not really being able to sustain that after a couple of months. And don't get me wrong, as I said, there is a time and place where you need might need to be more specific with your diet. So you know, if you'd been diagnosed with diabetes recently, for example, but then I would suggest you're doing that with the help of a specialist registered dietitian who I would refer you to. Even on the NHS, we would do that. Um, and definitely not a celebrity or an online blogger or something you see online, unless they have the, you know, yeah. qualifications, of course, then yes, they can be a celebrity and, and be a dietitian. I think there's definitely been this rise of celebrities. You know, Kim Kardashian has introduced these diet lollipops that she said that are, are miracle workers. And, you know, Kourtney Kardashian introduced this thing about ghee shots. Now, for people listening, ghee is butter, right? Ghee is clarified butter. So it's made by heating butter and removing the water and the milk solids. So you're left with the butter fat. When I was growing up, 
ghee was labeled as a bad food it was it was a treat to have ghee on your uh, chapati or what I call rotli it was it was a treat to do that so when I heard about this fad that you know a celebrity is drinking a shot of ghee every morning and it cleanses out your system I was I, I researched it so much and it said you know that there's so many benefits of it and the fats in it are really great for you and it's really great for your skin and then you look on another page and someone else is telling you that it's the worst thing for you. And it's so confusing as to what message to take away from that. And it's things like this. I'm just using that as an example of how you can change your narrative around food because I know so many people that were fearful of key. Like I said, they'd be so scared if someone put it on their food. And then now a celebrity is endorsing it. And suddenly your mindset shifts to think, oh, actually... This isn't so bad because if a celebrity is doing it, I can do it. And I talk about this in my previous podcast with Stephanie, where we talk about different bodies need different things. So what works for perhaps Kourtney Kardashian's body isn't going to work for me. So if she takes a shot of key every morning and that's made her skin nice and it makes her feel good and, you know, it's a great start to cleanse her morning for her stomach doesn't mean it's going to work for me and I think that's what people look to at the moment is it's so confusing because you're looking at dietitians that are not you know tailored for you like you've just said on the NHS you'd get someone that was specifically focusing on your needs and your body and at the moment we've too much access to people on social media that can tell us all these different things that work for different people's bodies but it may not work for you and it may be quite detrimental for your body. Absolutely I mean I don't have ghee in my coffee Good morning. <laughs> so that that gives you an idea of what I think yeah. about that. Yeah. However, you know, sometimes we put ghee on our kitchri because that's what we traditionally do with Indian food, and that's okay. I wouldn't use ghee or or other saturated fats necessarily as my main source of oil. I tend to use olive oil for cooking and drizzling um, in my food. But you know, I think a little bit of ghee is not going to do you any harm. But I wouldn't suggest having a shot of ghee in my coffee every day. No. Yes, exactly. I think that's the way you've got to view it. You've got to view it as a balanced diet. So you can incorporate all those food groups. You don't need to be excessively cutting out certain things, but you've got to do it in a kind of balanced way. Absolutely. And I think what you've just talked about in terms of stop focusing on the macros and those different food groups and looking at exactly how many calories you've put in. I saw a quote on Instagram, actually, and it said, restrict self-criticism, not calorie. And it really resonated with me because I just thought, you know, the amount of people I know that use the app MyFitnessPal, do you know it? You just yes, essentially write down all everything you eat, you just scan a food and it'll come up in there and tell you exactly how many grams of fat, sugar, saturated fat, carbs are in every single item. And whilst a lot of people do that to, you know, maintain their weight and see how much they're eating and really control what they're what they are putting into their bodies, I think it can have a really negative and toxic effect on them and a toxic effect on their mental health. Because I know that when some people are drizzling olive oil, they measure exactly how many milliliters they're putting before they glaze it all over their salad. And sometimes I just think diet culture has just made us become obsessed with weight, obsessed with what we're putting into our bodies, obsessed with this idea of health. And what I always think about, no one won a Nobel Prize for their thigh gap or their peachy pump, you know? <laughs> we're focusing so much time on our bodies and what we look like and focusing less time on what's important and what we're good at and what we can do to help people. And I think there's this really intrinsic link with like millennials at the moment that you're just so focused on what you're putting into your body and like I said, what you look like, that you're losing sight of the important things in life. I absolutely agree. I mean, you used a really crucial word there of control. And that's the whole point. I think if you are controlling and restricting, mm. that's surely not a healthy relationship with food. 
for for a normal healthy individual there isn't there is a time where you might want to control in certain you know uh, certain medical conditions or if you're trying to to lose weight over a short period of time as we said but certainly if I'm talking to patients about healthy eating or if they want to improve their diet in any way I think more about kind of some general principles that they can put in place rather than fixed control fixed Mm. rules so you know I would suggest things like maybe if they're thinking you mentioned a balanced plate so maybe thinking about at least half of that plate being fruits and vegetables and maybe weighting that more towards vegetables than the fruits so not saying cut out your mangoes and your grapes because they've got lots of sugar but actually just try and have less of them and and maybe weight the, the plate more towards the vegetables use more whole grains um, things like whole wheat pasta, brown rice, things like that. Um, and then when you're choosing your sources of protein, try and pick kind of more lean meat, eat re- less red meat, but try and incorporate more more fish, um, uh, chicken, things like that, or beans and pulses or nuts if you're following a vegan diet. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, oils, using things like olive oil more for cooking and drizzling. I don't measure them. How come? Um, so why is olive oil so healthy? I've always looked at it as like a a negative thing because there's so many calories and so many fats in olive oil but we need fats we need fats mm-hmm. for our body to function we need fats to make hormones we need fats for all sorts of, of um you know, functions for our body so yeah. there's nothing wrong with eating fats it's just you wouldn't just like any healthy balanced diet you wouldn't eat a diet just consisting of fats and you know there are really healthy fats and things like nuts and avocados and seeds and but it's all, it's about incorporating those fats as part of a balanced diet. You know, no diet is healthy if it just consisted of, of salad and vegetables. In the same way, you know, it wouldn't be healthy if it just consisted of, consisted of saturated fats. I, I think it, a diet has to be a balance of, of all sorts of things. And you need that variety to get all your macronutrients and micronutrients that you need. You need a variety of everything especially for people in my age you know we know that we want to eat healthy we know that we want to move away from our fast food culture and stop eating out and have you know stop having microwave meals but they're so readily available to us and I think there's not enough information about the nutrition in them so loads of companies have started to make microwave meals where they've got rice and veg and you don't really know what's what's good for you and what's not and it it, like you said it's better to start making things at home but I know a lot of people listening will be saying, you know, I want to eat better, but I have kids. I'm running my own business. I work 12 hour day. How do you how do you combat these issues? So looking at the two things that you say there. So first of all, if I go to the microwave meals in the restaurants, that takes us back to food being more than just fuel for the body. So I don't see anything wrong with eating at restaurants. It's also fuel for our mental health. Um, so I love going to restaurants. You know, if you gave me the perfect night out, it would be <laughs> going to a restaurant, being able to get dressed up, having someone else, you know, prepare the food for me. I love eating out. I love the atmosphere, the bars, the presentation of the yeah. meals, you know, everything about watching. Yeah. And the main <laughs> part of it is, you know, the social aspect of it, meeting friends, sharing food, sh- sharing stories. It's my perfect night out. So there's nothing wrong with that. And then even things like takeaways, microwave meals, yes, they can be quite processed. They can contain quite a lot of added salt and sugar, but they're quick and easy. And I can see why people use them. You know, we all lead a really busy lifestyle. Mm. And I and I actually say to my patients, you know, if they were, for example, living on a diet of lots of microwave meals, it is impossible for me to say to that patient, 
stop eating microwave meals, you need to cook from scratch more. You know, it's never going to happen. They, they lead a certain type of lifestyle that means that they eat more. So we would work with that. So we would maybe reduce a few of their meals per week. Start mm. with, you know, looking at what they're eating, maybe half the microwave meals that they have. And, and it's fine. You know, if I'm not going to start chastising them for their, their microwave meals. I can see why they might be more convenient. But we might start working with maybe swapping a couple of them out a week initially for something that they can make from home, make from scratch at home much easier. Starting to maybe think about how they're a backup so maybe they're in the freezer for them to use if they don't have time to make a, a meal from scratch. But I try to avoid making them the default option for meals. And that way we can start to work together to, to help work on their diets. And I hope that from that's where my blog comes in. You know, I hope I can show them that they can make from, recipes from scratch and they can make, be made actually in the same amount of time as microwaving a frozen meal. And that they're, you know, probably more likely to leave them feeling much more full of energy and much more full in themselves having eaten that meal. I think what you've just said there really emphasizes your point about balance and moving away from this idea of good and bad. So what you've said there is, you know, microwave meals aren't bad and you're not going to start telling your patients that they're really bad because then they'll start to feel so guilty when they eat them because what they're what they're hearing from you is actually that's a bad food. My home cooking food is good and if you don't do this, then you're not living a healthy lifestyle. So I think that's really great that you're that you have that approach. Yeah, it's also very difficult if somebody has been, you know, eating microwave meals for the majority of their life. It's very difficult to change that mindset straight away. So we would work together small changes slowly, but small sustainable changes lifelong. So not trying to go in with something really radical that they're never going to be able to sustain. I guess going back to your other point about uh, being busy with families and, and work, etc. You know, I, I would say I totally hear you. You know, I have kids. I work as an NHS doctor. I'm also trying to run my own business. And it's hard. It's not easy. But as I mentioned before, it's one of the main reasons that I started to write my blog, because patients ask me exactly this. You know, I know what I need to do, but how do I actually physically do it? I really hope to demonstrate via my blog that actually cooking food from scratch doesn't need to be that time consuming, complicated thing that people think it is. And for me, sort of creating and adapting recipes to make them really quick and easy for everyday cooking is something I love to do. And in fact, I wish I had more time to focus on it fully. One day I'd love to actually write a, an actual hardback <laughs> recipe book that can be in people's kitchens full of beautiful photographs. But Absolutely, I'm sure we can get there, and I'm sure we'll all be buying that book because your recipes truly are amazing. So you're so you're a doctor, and you're also a mom of two. How do you find the time to make sure that you're cooking really great meals with the kids? So this is something I'm I'm actually really passionate about, um, and I think if you have kids, I'm a really big believer in getting them to help in the process from the beginning. Um, I mean, in the short term, it's definitely messier with kids, but um, yeah. as, as they learn their new skills, they'll really want to help even more. And it's definitely a win-win though long term. Um, you know, I don't have to scrub potatoes ever again. And sometimes I even get scrambled eggs made for me for breakfast. And, you know, they make eggs every Saturday morning as tradition. Um, so, you know, I think it's I think it's crucial. I also never make separate meals for my kids. I might adapt oh, wow. very slightly, take out the chili, for example, or something like that, although they don't mind a little bit of chili now. But um, I think it's really important to lead by example. I think children see what we eat mm. and how we eat. 
Um, and I've always tried to expose them to a really wide variety of foods. Um, like patients are always surprised, for example, when I suggest, uh, when I'm seeing parents with babies who are starting the whole weaning process, and I might suggest adding spices to their children's meals. Um, and in fact, that prompted one of my recipe ebooks with um, a friend of mine, Lucy, who's a specialist children's dietitian. And we wrote a book specifically for parents beginning the weaning process just on how and why to ensure spices are um, a part of your journey, along with quick and easy recipes incorporating kind of spices such as cinnamon, cumin, turmeric, paprika. Growing up in an Indian household, these were normal. Mm. Um, and a diet of Indian food, you know, it was impossible to avoid spices. And I think it's really important to kind of get that variety in from very early on. No, I think that's a really, really good point talks a lot about food guilt and how it's really toxic and how we really need to change this. So how do you think we can start to create a more positive relationship with food? I guess the first step that you want to do is to actually identify what your relationship is with food. So maybe you might want to ask yourself a few important questions that might help direct you with this. So for example, do you restrict any specific food groups? And if so, why? It might be something as simple as a religious reason, um, for example, mm-hmm. or it might even be because you believe that they have a bad or an unhealthy label. I'd ask yeah. yourself if you feel guilty when you eat certain foods. Do you try to balance that guilt out with exercise or do you balance what you're eating every day out with exercise? And then do you find yourself really obsessively counting calories always? And, and how does that make you feel about actually doing that? So, you know, I guess if you answered yes to any of those questions that we just said, that these are really good starting points for conversation and maybe points that you might want to consider working on. Um, And certainly if a patient came in to see me as a GP, I'd be very happy to to work with them. Sometimes if a patient's talking to me about diet, I might say, you know, how would you feel if I said that you actually have full permission to eat anything and everything? And when I say this, my patients might quite often look at me in surprise. But, you know, a diet that consists of just salad is just as unhealthy as a diet that consists purely of chocolate and cakes. You know, you need a balanced proportion of both to make a healthy, balanced diet. I think that's a really good point. And, you know, I think even if you talk to your friends or someone in your family about this, using those questions to really understand your relationship with food is a really good starter. Because I think if you ask people, do you have an unhealthy relationship with food? A lot of the time people would answer no. However, I think a lot of people would answer yes to your questions. And I think that's because we often look as food is the same for everyone. And it's absolutely not like you've just said, for everyone, it's really unique and really different. And different things work for different people's bodies. So before we close today, what are some of your top tips you can give to our listeners? So I would say that healthy eating doesn't need to be complicated, difficult, time consuming or expensive. It's all about having a really balanced approach to food and appreciating really that food is more than just fuel for the body. It's about enjoyment too. It's important to love food to ignore comparison culture and food fads and instead really focus and concentrate on what's right for you. If I had to give a top tip, it would be to try and cook more from scratch whenever you can. Um, Hopefully my page can give you lots of ideas for how to do this. And I know definitely during the COVID area, we as a nation have really embraced cooking more and I hope it continues. I've seen a real rise in interaction on my page 
and recipes and recreation of recipes during this period. And um, I just hope that I can inspire people to continue to do that even after COVID. I'm sure loads of people will be doing that. And if you are in need of some inspiration, make sure you follow Chintel on Dr. Chintel's Kitchen on Instagram and then drchintelskitchen.com for some amazing recipes. They're really simple, really easy. I mean, I think I need to stop making the macaroons. I've probably made them about seven times during lockdown. (laughs) But they are really great. So thank you so much for coming. I've had so much fun talking to you. And I think it's been a real learning curve for me to really understand how to change my negative relationship with food and hope other people can learn from it too. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. everyone and thanks so much for tuning in and listening to my podcast i would love to hear your feedback so please email a millennial mind at hotmail.com with any feedback or questions around the show don't forget to like subscribe rate and share with your family and friends i look forward to hearing from you and i'll catch you in the next podcast next week